Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Welcome to this special podcast. Uh, I ripped a YouTube video of Vocab Malone and Tyler Veller talking about Molinism. Uh, they do a great job of uh, exposing it for what it is. It's really a view of God's omniscience. It has nothing to do with salvation. Uh, but as a Calvinist, we would see things a little bit differently. Uh, we would see things compatibilistically, uh, and obviously Molinists don't. So this is a great talk that I think all you guys will uh, really love. So props to Vocab Malone and Tyler Bello. Look them up online. Vocab, I know, has a, um, a YouTube channel, and Tyler Bello has a podcast. These guys uh, really break things down in a simple, understandable way and definitely will edify you. Well, thanks, and keep listening. Welcome to Street Apologists Radio, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Vocabulon. We are live. Today is a Thursday. The date is January 10th, 2019. Tonight, imagine that you're actually in seminary with us. And imagine that the class in seminary is going to be a class where the professor wants to try to reconcile the ever classic challenge of divine sovereignty and human responsibility we're going to look at one option that we're not necessarily um buying however we got respect for the people who hold it and want to do a critique in a friendly and charitable way while you're getting ready to do that i encourage you to hit that like button smash it homies grab this link share it please we're going to be looking at this, the Oxford Guide to Philosophy. We're going to be looking at this, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. We probably won't get a chance to look at this by John Frame, A History of Western Philosophy and Theology, but boy, I wish we could because I love John Frame and I love that book. So what's up to the moderator squad in the house? Shout out to the Patreon folks. If you are a supporter of mine on Patreon, be sure to check your inbox because I just messaged all of you between yesterday and today. All of you got a message, so a special message, and I want you to check it out and respond back if you can, please. Some of you have already responded, which I do appreciate. 
It has to do with what we're going to be doing in 2019. Once again, I'm Bo Malone. Some of you know, some of you don't. And I'll be speaking tonight to Tyler Vela. And he's got some great information. And I'm very excited about tonight's show. Very, very excited. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and cut this intro short and introduce on Street Apologist, Tyler Vela. Welcome to the Molinism Discussion. Hold on, let me bring your mic up. You're live with me. What's up, Tyler? Uh, hey, how are you? All right, so it is Vela, right? I heard you pronounce it, and I thought that's what you said. Yep, Vela. <laughs> All right, man. You're not a – it's just a guess. You might not be – that's not an Italian last name, is it? It's not. It's uh, it's Mexican. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you got second. Spanish. You got second best. That's okay. Uh, that's all right. I'm just kidding. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just messing, bro. No, I already knew that, guys. <clears throat> Check it out. My man Tyler is chilling in Cali. He runs the Freed Thinker podcast. The address is right there on the screen. He's done extensive stuff where he speaks about tonight's topic, and he's done debates on the issue as well as done debates with several atheists. He's got a fantastic conference. Uh, coming up in Waco, Texas that he's part of with a number of other people that he's in a crew with called The Mentionables, and that's going to be in Waco, Texas. In fact, if you follow me on Instagram, at Vocab Malone, I, uh, I posted that today, so I gave information about that conference coming up here in the spring, where we're going to jump right into this topic. But Tyler, real quick, what else do you want people to know about you? For example, we want them to subscribe to your YouTube channel, so give them that information and anything else that's important, and we'll jump right into this Molinism discussion. Uh, yeah, if you uh, if you find the Freed Thinker on on uh, YouTube or iTunes, that's that's the best. Um, or follow the Mentionables, uh, the Mentionable One with the number one uh, on uh, on Twitter to get a bunch of information about that ministry that I'm involved with. So that's about it. Awesome. And uh, I first saw Tyler when he was speaking with Andrew Rappaport of Striving for Eternity and Matt Slick of Carm, both of whom I also highly recommend. When I saw Tyler, I said, this is a guy I definitely need to have on. And then I've seen a lot of his substance in. Great stuff, fantastic stuff. Um, we don't agree on everything, but then again, no one does. The Genesis stuff, we've had different positions on that, but I still got, I see what you're trying to do there, bro. So I got love, right. I got love for you. Uh, check this out. Uh, shout out to Lily in the super chat. And since Lily, uh, you're the first to break the ice on that tip, let me break down the rules on that. Here's how it works. 50 in the super chat gets a freestyle at the end of the show, or 100 viewers, which we're almost halfway there, gets a freestyle at the end of the show. So there's two ways to achieve it. Some people like Mark Cleveland hope we don't achieve it. Others like Rox B and Miss Holly and uh, uh, Carm and Michelle Marie, they do hope we achieve it. <laughs> so with that, I'm going to read this entry for about Louis de Molina and, and then... And then I'll kind of let you begin the discussion. This is from the Oxford Guide of Philosophy. And I'm going to read about Louis de Molina, everybody. And then that's going to be our entry point into the discussion. So after I read this, Tyler, you can kick it off. Louis de Molina, 1535 to 1600. A Jesuit theologian and philosopher. Born in Spain, he studied and taught at various leading Iberian universities. Molina is best known for his doctrine of middle knowledge, expounded in Concordia Liberia Arbitri Cum Gratia Donis, 1588. This doctrine's aim was to preserve human free will while maintaining the Christian doctrine of the efficacy of divine grace. For Molina, although God has foreknowledge of what human beings will choose to do, neither that knowledge nor God's grace determine human will. That's a big key right there. 
middle knowledge, God's knowledge of what persons would do under any set of circumstances, enables God to arrange to uh, enables God to arrange. That's kind of a funny sentence, isn't it, everybody? Enables God to arrange. God's like, thanks for letting me arrange it, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, enables God to arrange for certain human acts to occur by prearranging the circumstances surrounding a choice without determining the human will. Again, you notice how that's a key in what Molina was doing. Determining uh, is, is, is to preserve an autonomous libertarian understanding of human will. God's grace is concurrent with the act of the will and does not predetermine it. Again, does God, so what God does is does not predetermine it, rendering the Thomistic distinction between sufficient and efficacious grace superfluous. And I would add, lastly, that Molina was a counter-Reformation philosopher, meaning Reformation happened. You got guys like uh, Martin Luther. Hi, I'm Martin Luther. And uh, he was uh, part of... A reformation that took place in Western Europe that led a whole all around the world, and uh, the Catholics said, "Man, we we gotta we gotta deal with this on an intellectual level. We can't just drown and and kill everybody and and excommunicate everybody. We've gotta deal with some of the arguments." And so Molina was like, "Aha!" So he thought he had a solution as a counter reformer. Now that's the intro, Tyler Vela. Why are we talking about this in the first place? You know this medieval slash modern era counter-reformer Catholic philosopher, why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, largely because while, from what I can tell, Molina's theory didn't have that much of an impact for a really long time, um, it has seen a resurgence in Christian philosophy and apologetics, um, largely due to the work of men like Alvin Plantinga and William Lane Craig. Um and the, the reason why it has apologetical value and why people think that it's so important um, is because they, they believe that it gives one of the, the strongest, if not the strongest, um, frameworks to answer, say, a problem of evil um, from the, the a kind of free will theodicy. Um, and so Molinism is seen of having this, these, these kind of theoretical virtues that they maintain libertarian freedom they get got off the hook for you know you know determining sin, evil, uh, all those kinds of things. And then there's some other, I don't know, secondary or tertiary benefits to it that they would see, um, but that not all Molinists agree on. So William Lane Craig, for example, uh, sees Molinists as benefiting the question about all the you know the unsaved Mayans during the life of Christ. Why 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 did God create these humans which wouldn't even ever have the opportunity to hear the gospel? But if he desires all to be saved, why even create them? And so he thinks Molinism is going to give him an answer to that. Well, this is totally irrelevant, but I do like to interact with the live chat. Binto Fernandez says, vocab, what can I say? I thought you were good looking, but our man Tyler is wow. <laughs> you don't have to comment, bro. But you, Don't know what to do with that. Thank you. you. I, pre you I appreciate the man love, I guess. <laughs> Everyone, we're just kidding. Now, you said something. You said problem of evil theodicy. Real yep. quick, what's problem of evil theodicy? Uh, so the problem of evil, problem of suffering, is the question about why would God allow evil and suffering? Why why would a good God um, create a, a, a world, a cosmos, where there is you know such uh, such a volume of pain, suffering, evil, sin? Uh, and a theodicy is an attempt to answer that. Um, and the Molinist, uh, following on the, the work of Plantinga, Craig, 
Molina um, is going to try to answer well um, because uh, God was was interested in creating creatures who would freely choose Him, and there's this un, you know unfortunate byproduct of freedom, which is that we abuse our freedom and do terrible things. Um, but they but they're not open theists. Um, even though I'm going to argue that I think it entails open theism, Molinists aren't open theists. They they want to maintain that God is omnipotent, that God is omniscient, and that he is sovereign over creation. Um, so they don't want to deny sovereignty. They want to try to, to, to align those two things, that God is completely sovereign, uh, but man has total libertarian freedom. And so they think Molinism gives that benefit. What is an open theist, and what's the problem with it? An open theist is someone who uh, believes that because future facts cannot be – let me back up. They're going to say that you can't know things that aren't true. Um, and since future facts are non-true, they're not true yet, um, that God can't know future facts. And so God's knowledge is is – open. He, he, you know, he might have, he might know, you know, a hundred percent of the possible things that could happen and kind of see where it's going, but he can't know for a fact what the future will, will contain. So in essence, God is, is learning with us, although learning might not be the word that they would choose as, as, you know, uh, creation unfolds. Nice. Reasonable Faith Indy says, bracing for the worst, hoping for the best. <laughs> Yeah. No, I well, think I think what 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 he's saying is I'm a Molinist. Please be nice, bros. <laughs> e- either either be nice or hey, you're dealing with a whole bunch of concepts dealing with modality and philosophy. Get it right. <laughs> uh, that could be another one. All right, so let's try to get it right. Let's try to get it right here. So, yep. guys, uh, sort of a summary of what we talked about so far. In all seriousness. Um, the problem evil, which is why does a good God allow bad things to happen or something like that, is yep. certainly, I think, a, a respectable and formidable challenge to the Christian faith that the Bible itself deals with. So the Bible must consider it a, a legitimate question in the sense of uh, it needs to at least be discussed. It recognizes that it is there throughout its pages. Now, within that, Christian theologians and philosophers from uh, those vantage points have tried to answer those questions in various ways. And there's different levels where people say, here's where God's sovereignty comes into play, and then other levels where people say, here's where human free will comes into play, and people have different perspectives on those issues. So within that, we have something now that has seen a resurgence in the last 10 to 20 years within modern theistic professional philosophers and now trickle down to students and on the internet blogosphere called Molinism, which presents itself as a middle way between Calvinism and Arminianism, philosophies and philosophers and theologians and uh, theologies, which says we are going to base this on middle knowledge, God's knowledge of counterfactuals, then to... um, sort of give what we think is a good feasible answer dipping into different philosophical resources to explain properly the problem of evil as well as other problematic issues such as how do people who have never heard the gospel end up uh, facing God's wrath and all of that which Tyler mentioned that Wimley and Craig believes that that is a potential benefit of Molinism. In the very beginning I read an entry on Louis de Molina because 
he is sort of the fountainhead of Molinism. But the resurgence, I think, primarily owes itself, especially within the evangelical world, to William Lane Craig. But even in the live stream, and I'm not going to mention everybody, but a number of you have mentioned, oh, this guy's a Molinist. This guy's a Molinist. So I see that a number of people are um, familiar with some of their favorite apologists who are Molinists. And so let me stop right now. We've already said Molinists are not open theists. We believe open theists is a heretical position. We're not saying anything like that about Molinists. Just make sure everyone is clear on that. Number two, we have great respect for the people we're going to critique. We're going to do our best. We're not going to get everything right. This is a quick internet entry into the discussion. Now with that, what is Molinism and why aren't you one, Tyler? Sure. Um, so you did a good, a pretty good job of, of identifying what Molinism was. I would make one caveat because if there's Molinists in the room, they're going to be throwing things at the screen right now that you didn't say this. Um, and that is that, that middle knowledge <clears throat> is not merely counterfactual knowledge. Mm. It's specifically a type of knowledge about counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. Um, and so they're they're going to want to they're going to want to uh, to press that point. Well, can I read well, this I, real quick, real quick? Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is not a full expansive definition. This yeah. is just a small one. By the way, Tyler's job, your job is to do the caveat. So you're all good. Here's Fair. what Craig and Moreland say in in the first edition. Now the new edition's out of of their uh, really well known book. It says this: <clears throat> When we understand that God timelessly knows the things he knows, and that his knowledge of something does not cause that thing to happen, then we have the resource for developing a response to the problem. So this is a decidedly non-reformed or non-Calvinistic way to deal with the problem of evil. Just from that sentence alone, you should be able to discern that. Now let me continue. It's only two or three more sentences. Still others utilize a notion called middle knowledge. Roughly, God's knowledge of what every free creature he would, or I'm sorry, what every free creature he could create would do in every possible circumstance in which they could be placed. And I'm just putting on the book for a second. This has to do with the concept we're going to get into called possible worlds. Continuing on, God's middle knowledge of future free acts does not determine, but rather rests on what those choices will be. This approach is quite promising. But in order for it to be completely satisfying, its advocates must explain just how it is that God could possess such knowledge in the first place. See chapter 27. All right. So just reading a little bit from uh, Craig M. Moreland there. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, they tip the hat to what is um, traditionally the biggest objection against Molinism. So where he says that they the Molinists can't just fall back on that on this idea of middle knowledge, which you and I can critique here in a minute. Um, but they have to say how God could know these things. That's a that's a tip of the hat to the grounding objection, which is a very common uh, objection against Molinism. Um, so so a couple of things. We'll get to the grounding objection, and then and then I'll tell you why uh, or a, kind of the different route that I take because the grounding objection is more of a it's kind of a metaphysical objection, but I'm I think there are metaphysical problems with Molinism that a lot of people don't address. <clears throat> on, so, on our first show on this, which uh, is on uh, my YouTube page, just type in Molinism, and there's a, a show called What is Molinism and Is It Biblical? And in that, Francis Turretin, Turretin fan, I'm sorry, he, he, he gets more into the grounding objection, which is probably the most common objection. Yeah. However, Tyler's going to say my objections, this is me paraphrasing Tyler, are more on the metaphysical side than just the grounding objection. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so a couple things, I know you covered this in your, in your previous one, but we should just get a couple terms in place, 
um, so people can even just follow what we're talking about. So um, <clears throat> in classic Christian doctrine and in Protestant, you know, traditional Protestantism, um, out basically everyone outside of the Molinist camp um, view, view God's omniscient as having two different types of knowledge, right? You have, you have what's called his natural knowledge and you have his free knowledge. His natural knowledge is his knowledge uh, that he possesses about himself um, and and necessary facts that are derived from himself. So this is how God knows about uh, his own attributes, his own nature, his own necessity, as well as uh, necessary facts like two plus two is four, um, or that you know no there are no married bachelors type of thing. His free knowledge is what God knows about. Uh, um, uh, contingent facts about basically about his creation, what he's what he's decreed to create. Hold on, real quick. And, contingent yep. facts, everyone, are facts that necessarily need not be, meaning they are Correct. things that are true that are not necessary. For example, since I have not always existed, it's clear that the universe does not need me to exist. I'm a contingent being, and so contingent facts are things that are dependent upon another fact. They are not necessarily necessary in and of themselves. Go ahead. Right. So, so God would know, for example, that on the planet Earth, from the the surface during a clear day, the the sky appears to be blue. Um, he could have made creation and light function different so that the sky would appear red. Um, that so that's a that's a contingent fact within uh, within the world that He has created. Um, so so He knows that. One of the common ways that, um, because on, on traditional uh, Christian doctrine, on historic Protestantism, on Reformed Protestantism, one of the ways that we would say God has exhaustive counterfactual knowledge, that he knows what could have been but isn't, um, is, is an application of God's natural knowledge. So God, God knows, for example, that whatever he decrees to be true would be true. He he knows that about his own his own omnipotence and the own uh, efficacy of his decrees. That's a part of his natural knowledge. He also knows by his free knowledge what he has decreed. And so, if you kind of put those things together, he knows uh, subjunctive facts like: Had I decreed this other world, a red sky world, then the sky would appear red from the face of the earth. Right. So so we're going to say that God has exhaustive counterfactual knowledge, but we don't invent this whole third category of knowledge um, to, to create that. It's kind of the, the inference uh, from, from uh, his, his free knowledge. Now let's, let's stop right there real quick. Yeah. Are there examples of what you just said? We're not saying that you find Molinism in the Bible, but are there examples that especially a Molinist would point to in the Bible where they would say, aha, look, here's an example of the fact that God possesses what we would call Middle knowledge, and and uh, why why you bring that up? Um, uh, let me give everyone what I find helpful, but everyone won't find helpful. But nonetheless, let's share. When I was a kid, and um, I didn't kind of collect specific comics, I just collected almost all comics. I had these set of comics called What If Marvel would put them out, and it would be like this: What if Mary Jane didn't marry Spider Man? What if uh, Wolverine was not in the X Men? What if so-and-so didn't die? What if Thanos didn't, you know, these kinds of things, right? Right. And then they would tell this alternate story based upon the what if going the other way. And sometimes you can see historical uh, works of fiction doing this. So what if the Nazis had won World War II and they'll write a whole book about it. These are works of fiction based upon counterfactuals, meaning things that are not the case 
but that could have been the case, and then they proceed to try to follow through. Are there examples of things like that in the Bible? Yeah. yeah sort of. Maybe. Share. So, please share. Please share. Yeah. The the three big examples. So the 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 funny thing about this is if you've ever debated as a as a reformed or a Calvinist person or someone who believes in some version of predestination with someone who believes in libertarian freedom, they're gonna point to basically any passage that has someone choosing something and say, ha, see, libertarian freedom in the Bible. And we're gonna say, wait a second. All that shows is that people choose things, which as a reformed person, I agree that they do. It, it doesn't get you to something like libertarian freedom. So here, the you know some of the major verses are First um, uh, Corinthians two seven through eight. First Corinthians chapter two, verses seven through eight, and I will read it if that's okay with you. Which says yep. this. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Explain. So what this comes across, and and we'll read all three, and then I'll kind of come back and say why this isn't middle knowledge. what, what it appears for the Molinists or for someone who wants to say that this is counterfactual knowledge is that God's saying, look, if if things had been differently, if 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 they had understood kind of the, the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of the gospel, the wisdom of God, then they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Right. Because because they would have they would have understood uh, who Christ was as God incarnate. And so they wouldn't have committed deicide. Right. Um, so that that's one where they're going to point and say, see, counterfactual knowledge. Um, another one, well, hold uh, on, which real is quick, re- Tyler, yep. help me out. I, I, cause yep. there's some of the other ones you're going to go to. I'm more familiar with on this one in particular. Are, mm-hmm. do they actually think that Jesus would not have been crucified if somehow Pilate knew who Jesus was? Are they saying that actually would not have happened? And if they do, how would they reconcile that with God's eternal plan of salvation uh, i mean I, I don't know i just i want to stop here for yeah. a second and ask you because i don't know the answer to this this is one of the things well the hard thing is this is one of the areas where i just don't think there's a good answer to it <laughs> on their system so I, as charitably as i can and as much as i can what they're going to say is that given that context that they were in that those that those the the religious leaders and the the the, the pharisees and the and the priests were in um Given that context, let's call it C, God God foreknew that they would choose that. They, they would choose to, glor- to crucify the Lord of glory, and that's what he wanted for his plan, and so therefore he put them in that situation. Um, and so they're going to they're gonna want to be almost to the point that, that's, that, that, that it's ne- necessary that they chose that, but just shy of that. Basically, it, it was of such a kind, it was of such a situation um, that they would freely choose of their libertarian freedom to crucify the Lord of glory, and God, God ordained it that way, even though he didn't predestine it that way. Um, that, that's about as charitable of an answer as I can give based on what they say. I don't think that works, but I think that's, that's about as robust as they would get. Is it possible on a Molinistic system that God also um, actuated the world in which? Well, okay, never mind. I'm I, I'm getting a little I'm I'm getting a little I'm gonna get it twisted in my own head. So go ahead with the next sorry. one. I'm we'll, sorry. We'll, go ahead. We'll get to some of those those okay. actualizing questions later. So uh, 
So another one, and, and we'll, again, we'll tie all these three together. These are the three big ones. The other one is Matthew 11, 21 to 24. Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24. And it goes like this. Woe to you, Jerazen. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. So, uh, and again, this happens, you know, he repeats it again. If it happened in, in the Sodom, uh, you know, they would have remained to this day. Um, and the idea here is saying, well, there's the, you know, there's this, there's this counterfactual possibility that had Tyre and Sidon been placed in the context that you're placed in, they would have repented in sackcloth and ash and, and believed, uh, but you didn't, you're guilty. Um, you know, woe to you. Uh, the other one is First uh, Samuel twenty three eleven to thirteen. Yeah, that's the. I think this is the first one that I had heard. At what First Samuel? This is this is the big one. This is the big one. This is when they normally go. To. This we kind of did these in reverse popularity. Oh, okay. No wonder I had. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. First Samuel twenty three. Which verses do you want me to read again, Tyler? Uh, you can read, well, I mean, 11 and 12. Okay, okay. Here yeah. we go, everybody. Will the men of Kailas surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kailas surrender me and my men of the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Right. So this one is an example of, of uh, that they would say, well, David goes to the Lord and basically says, hey, you know, Saul, Saul's coming after me. If I go to, to the city of Kayla, will the people of Kayla hand me over? And the Lord says, yes, if you go there, they'll hand you over. David doesn't go there. He goes somewhere else. Um, and so what they're going to say is, well, God has this this uh, middle knowledge about what the what the free will decisions of the men of Kayla would have been had David gone there. All right, so that those are like the three big verses. Now you have some people like William Lane Craig who's going to say, "Look, these verses don't establish Molinism." Uh, he's going to agree that these texts don't establish Molinism. You're going to have other Molinists that are going to say these do establish middle knowledge, um, and then you're going to have you're going to have some who say, "Well, it establishes counterfactuals." I, I'm going to say, I just I just don't buy it for any of these. I have a hard time imagining that any of these are trying to make these deep philosophical claims about this this unknown until Molina third category of knowledge uh, about God. What seems to be happening to me uh, is, is um, simple uh, hyperbole and counterfactual reflection. So I don't have middle knowledge, but I can say something like, uh, if, if I'm really frustrated with someone and my flesh is really coming out, I can be, I, you know, I can say something like, what are you stupid? If I, if I were to tell this to my dog, even my dog would understand this. Now, am I trying to say that there's another alternate, you know, possible world in which if I actually spoke this to my dog, that my dog would believe it? No, I'm speaking hyperbole. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying, I'm making an emphatic point by, by making this type of contrast. Um, I don't think it's making the metaphysical claims that they're trying that they're trying to make. Um, this, I think, is is the point uh, very clearly in the First Corinthians and in the Matthew passage. The First Samuel passage 
Um, also, I don't think you need to go into this metaphysical realm. All it takes is for, for God to know the wickedness of the hearts of, uh, of the men of Kayla, uh, and that, you know, he, but, but God knows what he's decreed. Um, kind of going back to what I laid out at the beginning, the, the, the traditional um, Christian uh, view of omniscience and the reform view of omniscience, the Protestant, traditional Protestant view of omniscience, you don't need, it, it doesn't establish this, this third category of middle knowledge. Right. So so in the same way that any passage that talks about someone choosing doesn't establish libertarian freedom, it just shows that there's choice. These passages don't establish middle knowledge. It just establishes that we can talk about things in counterfactual ways. Um, and so it doesn't it, it in no way establishes um, middle knowledge. The well, comeback to what, that. I've heard. Let me see if, if this is anything to do with what sometimes people say. Yeah. We'll say, okay, the Bible may not be directly teaching it, but it give it gives hints toward those directions. And Molinism is so intellectually, philosophically, theologically satisfying that we should uh, want, maybe hope for it to be true. And what it shows is that it's not directly contradicting the Scripture. And so we're okay with the scriptural data as it is, even if it may be somewhat scant. Yeah, so— the, the, so that was what I was going to say. That the, the comeback typically is, look, Molinism is 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 so philosophically robust um, that we wouldn't expect it to be fully orbed in the scriptures. But you know, it's kind of it's not contradictory to the scriptures, right? It, it's uh, you know, it's it's not drawn from the scriptures, but it but it's not contradictory to it either. Um, my comeback to this, and and I recognize that this is going to be. Uh, <laughs> not satisfactory to especially to our to our Roman Catholic listeners um, but the other ones is that that is that is very much a Catholic way to argue and you about say that theology. you say that because it's not based on sola scriptura why Correct. You, why would you say that yeah because as Protestants I think that we should we should rely on sola scriptura as um, a, as our as our primary authority is Especially when, and I'm not saying that there's no such things as true facts that that are true, you know, in virtue of not contradicting the scriptures. It doesn't contradict the scriptures that I'm, you know, sitting in a black in a, in a blue chair either. Um, it's not that that things are false just because they're not expressly stated in the scriptures. But when we're deriving theological doctrines about the nature of God, about God's omniscience, about salvation, because Molinism is going gonna, is gonna to try to address that question about libertarian freedom and our ability to choose to be saved, those kinds of core theologically driven doctrines, I just can't fathom us deriving those from something outside of the scriptures, even though it doesn't contradict the scriptures. Uh, I, I think that it's exactly backwards to go from from uh, you know kind of philosophical tradition to theological tradition to biblical text just not contradicting it, um, well, which is how we get things like the perpetual virginity of Mary uh, in in Roman Catholicism and and, and the such. Well, Tyler Vale is just poisoning the well at this point. <laughs> I'm That's just, terrible. <laughs> no, but let me read two comments. Now, these aren't part of your main presentation, so you've got to do the quick answer on both of these. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. First is one, two, three, four, five. Shushi. They says, if I feel if God is truly sovereign, that He could make both Molinism and Calvinism possible. Quick answer: Why not? That can't be possible because uh, Molinism relies on a libertarian freedom, which is an incompatibilistic uh, view of sovereignty and freedom. Calvinism relies 
on a form of compatibilistic freedom um, that is determined. So it's it's like saying God can make a married bachelor. God can make incompatibilism and compatibilism true. They both can't be true. Excellent. One way says, sorry, but Molinism makes me think of God eternally gazing into one of these. And then it has a, a crystal ball uh, <laughs> a, 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 a emoji. No offense intended. Yeah. What's up, One Way? I know One Way from uh, from other servers. And what, stuff. What's something nice you could say back? Uh, I mean, he's being he's being a bit pejorative, and One Way, I love you. Uh, but to, if we're going to be fair to the Molinists, in the same way we would to you know Arminians and others, God isn't God isn't he's not before in eternity past. He's not uh, you know looking down the corridors of time. He's not gazing at a crystal ball. He's not there. There's the, those kind of commit an error of process where, where God is kind of going through this process or this procedural thing to decide what to do. So it's just it's a conceptual error um, to, to cast it that way. There are other problems with how it's rooted, which we'll talk about. Um, but while it's funny to put the crystal ball, it's probably not conceptually accurate. It does look cool on there. Okay, last one. Yeah. Uh, David1769 says, I'd like to hear Tyler's explanation of Psalm 106.23, which says, Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. I, I don't yeah. know if you've heard of that one as well. Uh, I have. So um, part of this is going to come down to, again, that, that's, that, that deals with a counterfactual statement. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't get you anything like middle knowledge or the metaphysics that goes under Molinism. Uh, and the way that, that, uh, you know, a traditional reform person is going to look at that like myself is going to say, well, look, uh, God decrees the, the, the mean, the ends and the means, right? God, God not only decrees the outcome, but he also decrees the way that gets there. That's why you get, um, in passages like Jeremiah 18 saying, look, if I've declared this destruction to come on a city and they repent, then I'll relent of what I have declared. Now, does that mean that God is changing his plan, that God has changed his mind, that he, that he hasn't determined what the outcome is going to be? No, it means that God is working through providential means in creation. Um, and so the same thing I, I would say is happening there in the psalm. Excellent. And uh, we're, I'll, I'm going to let you continue on. I'm just going to respond to these real quick. One, two, yeah. three, four, five. Sushi says, as a Molinist myself, could you guys review 1 Corinthians 2.13? We did that a little bit, one, two, three, four, five, in the beginning of the show. If you would, uh, once the show's done, just rewind and you'll see that that miniature discussion right there in the beginning. And then also Eris Toddler, who always has one of the my favorite names whenever I see you, bro, says, so what's not satisfactory about compatibilism? Now, I don't know if you're asking us, but uh, Tyler and I would be very uh, satisfied with compatibilism, being yep. compatibilist ourselves. Now, continuing on, sorry for those brief detours. Um, I think you were starting to deal with some metaphysical objections to Molinism? Yes. Is that where you were? Okay. Yeah. So let me let me get one more okay. um, one more objection out of the way before we get to the metaphysical objections. The, and that is a certain rhetorical strategy within Molinism. So ah. I've, I've now run into a lot of people who are otherwise, they're not Molinists. They don't go down the fully orbed, um, you know, metaphysical Molinism route. Um, they might even say they're Calvinist or Reformed, but they affirm middle knowledge, mm -hmm. right? This kind of gets to that question earlier about can God make, you know, libertarian freedom or Molinism and Calvinism true? 
The problem is, have you ever seen that 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 cartoon of the the camel with his nose under under the tent? Yeah, the camel's right, nose in the tent. That's the and then once that happens, it's it's all yeah, she the, wrote the rest after that. comes through. Yeah, right. The the idea is Molinists are are, and I'm not saying to say they're they're dishonest. I don't think they're dishonest, but it's a rhetorical strategy, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, is this idea that if you can just accept middle knowledge, right? A reformed person can accept middle knowledge, right? <clears throat> the problem is, is that the way they define middle knowledge uh, is implicitly assumes libertarian freedom. Because you have to remember, middle knowledge is not just that God has exhaustive counterfactual mm. knowledge. It's specifically that God has counterfactual knowledge of creature counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, which are uh, libertarianly chosen choices that they just haven't made in the actual world. So help me out on this, Tyler. Yeah. Is that definition of middle knowledge, it's sort of got um, some Arminian or compatibilistic, no, no, I'm sorry, wrong word, some libertarian free will assumptions smuggled into that definition of middle Correct. knowledge. However, there's an understanding of middle knowledge that I think we as reformed people can have and share, which is kind of like this. And I've heard you say something along these lines, but correct me, something like this. We see the Bible teaching clearly that God is omniscient, that he mm -hmm. is all-knowing. And so uh, there's a certain sense in which we see God's middle knowledge is almost being a redundancy, meaning God knows all things, you know, kind of siphoning off this special category of middle knowledge. It, for a Reformed person to define it properly, he just says, Sir, certainly, okay, that's just another way to say God knows all things. But when a Molinist is doing it, sort of what's happening is they're packing things into the definition of mental knowledge, primarily have to do with creaturely free choices or libertarian or perhaps autonomous freedom, that yep. we wouldn't be going there with that. And there's one other thing I've heard you say that was interesting that I think is true too, and you gave an analogy. Now, some people won't even understand this analogy because it gets into other deep theological territories, and it goes like this. If you've ever had a debate, a theonomist, and we are both Reformed, and so we love our theonomist friends— but they play a little trick on you sometimes, and they'll go like this. Well, do you love God's law? Because theonomy, the position entails applying sort of in toto Old Testament law supposedly to modern-day law codes. And every Christian should say yes, right? They'll say, well, all theonomy means is love of God's law. You're a theonomist. Yep. And But theonomy itself is a much greater system than just the simple kind of word or phrase of love of God's law. Similar with middle knowledge. We affirm God's middle knowledge, and it's almost like, well, then you're a Molinist. But yep. something is happening there. Yeah. There, there's kind of a semantic bait and switch that's happening. Right. And it may not uh, even with, be on purpose. No one is saying that every yep. Molinist does this, and we're not saying it's purposeful just so everyone knows. Hey, right. shout out to K-Dub. He's got some great resources on his channel about Reformed Theology. Subscribe to his channel. Go ahead, Tyler. Yeah. So, um, so that, so that's that's kind of this rhetorical bait and switch. So, I would actually, I would actually push you, and I would say, I don't even say that I affirm middle knowledge because the language is too confusing. Um, I say that I affirm God's natural knowledge, His free knowledge, and that God is omniscient. And what's entailed by those two categories um, is that God has exhaustive counterfactual knowledge, um, because because as a reformed person, I'm going to say that that truth. Uh, it, either whether you know counterfactuals or, or of, uh, of his free knowledge are grounded. This is where the grounding objection comes in. Are grounded on the decrees of God, 
right? So what what is true of his free knowledge is because God has decreed it to be true. Um, so his counterfactual knowledge is basically, look, I, I know what I've decreed and I know what I haven't decreed. I know these aren't true because I know it could be true because I could have decreed them, but I didn't. So it's still grounded in God's own knowledge, his own natural knowledge and his own free knowledge. I don't need to invent this third category of middle knowledge. The grounding objection comes up because the Molinist is going to say, look, in between, and it's why it's called middle knowledge, in between his natural knowledge and his free knowledge, there's this category of knowledge that isn't based on God actualizing the actual. That it, What comes logically prior to God's uh, middle knowledge is the, is the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. It is the libertarian choices of the creatures that comes logically prior to God knowing it. So there's this grounding objection. How can God know what a free creature will do if that free, if it, if that free creature doesn't exist to make it yet and make that free choice? Because couldn't that free creature choose other than what God would know? So it's inexplicable. It's ungrounded on why God would have that middle knowledge. There's more robust ways to say it, um, but that's why I don't, I don't even say I affirm middle knowledge because I don't, I think there's a grounding problem with middle knowledge that I didn't even want to get tangled up with. And I don't think I even need the label to describe God's omniscience. Right. Interesting. You're sort of cutting them off in the past there. Now do this quickly if you can, but I'm trying to interact yep. with the chat and you've been doing great so far. If you're uh, super annoyed by these interjections and just, no, it's fine. then just hit me up in Skype and tell me, <laughs> but uh, Gerard Perry says, so Molinists don't believe that God initiates salvation. Uh, so Molinists, Molinists aren't a specific soteriological category. So you can have traditionalists who are Molinists. Uh, I should say SBC traditionalists. Uh, you can have um, Arminians uh, who are Molinists. I, I, I'm not sure how you could have a Lutheran that's a Molinist, but maybe. Um, you know, you you could have you could have different views of of of, uh, of salvation and soteriology that undergoes that undergirds Molinism and. Um, there, there's a gentleman uh, who's, you know, I heavily criticize, but I love the guy. Tim Stratton is a Molinist, and he basically says, look, uh, it might be the case that, that Molinism is true for everything up to salvific choices. Maybe it's the ca case that Calvinism is true with regard to salvation, that, that, that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, irresistibly regenerates the believer at salvation, overrides their libertarian freedom, um, and, and and regenerates them and works faith in them and brings them salvation. He tries to, he says, maybe that's a, I don't think he thinks that's true, but he says, you know, that's, that's one possible way that you can be a Calvinist and a Molinist. The problem is, is again, under Calvinism to make the entire system work, you don't have libertarian freedom anywhere. <laughs> it's not just that the Calvinists don't hold just that libertarian was there until God regenerates you and that he overrides your libertarian freedom. We just have a fundamentally different anthropology of what uh, constitutes freedom of the will. All right, so you can see, guys, we are getting into the weeds. And so, Tyler, feel free at any time during the broadcast to repeat yourself and redefine things and all that because I'm following the live chat. I can tell by some of the questions people are tracking, and I can tell others are struggling hearing this for the first time. Hey, this, yeah. just so everyone knows, the way a discussion on Molinism and middle knowledge works, usually speaking, if it's your first time hearing it, you're only going to catch bits and pieces of it. So if you feel that way right now, 
don't sweat it. But we got to kind of keep on moving because some people have heard this, so we don't want to get too bogged down and repeat yeah. repeating ourselves. But just be aware that's how it is. So give yourselves a break if you're feeling that way and just know, okay, I'm getting introduced to something new. It's stretching me. Uh, by the end, I'll have some new knowledge, but I may not know everything about it. So I'm just encouraging everyone. So continue following along. Okay, Tyler. Yeah. I'll chill on the interruptions for a second. My man. All right. So, and the other thing, just to, to encourage them, if you're if you haven't heard this or, or the, you know you're kind of new to this, it touches on so many things that you're going to have like a thousand questions about. What about this on the atonement? And what about this for bringing people to salvation? What about this? And what about? There's going to be a bunch of kind of you know ulterior questions that that you could take it. It touches on a lot of things. All right. Um, and so you're you know some of these questions, even though they're probably not under the scope of what we should talk about here are very good questions that make sense that you probably should be asking of the view. So going into to some of so some of my objections. So, um, you know, I, d- I did a whole episode called the metaphysics and metaphysics and the failure of Molinism, where I lay out a whole uh, a whole arraignment uh, of um, objections uh, to, to me- the way they conceptualize middle knowledge and the way um, that they uh, that they deal with with uh, middle knowledge and their their metaphysics. We're not going to really get into all of them here. That episode for mine was like an hour and 15 minutes long. I think we only have like 45 minutes left. I'll throw the link. I'll throw the link in the live chat though while you're talking. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so there. So there's a couple problems. Uh, and sorry, I'm old school. I have I have paper handouts. You're going to hear rustling of paper. <laughs> um, um, so uh, we we kind of talked about a regular grounding objection. One of the problems, there's there's another kind of metaphysical grounding objection, um, and that is, like I said, on Molinism, the libertarian free choices of uh, of man are logically prior to God's middle knowledge of them. Um, some Molinists freak out about that because they're not used to being said that way. Most Molinists are fine with it. Um, because we don't mean chronic, chronologically prior, we don't mean ontologically prior, we don't mean that um, creatures are actually in existence and making choices before God knows it. But if you think about it, in order to know that X is true, uh, X has to be true for you to know that it's true. It's logically prior to your knowledge of it. In order for God to have this knowledge of these counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, these libertarian choices. The truth of those libertarian choices has to logically precede God's knowing those things. And so the question comes, this is the normal grounding objection, the question comes, how can God know that? What makes those things true if there's nothing to substantiate them? And how can God, uh, how can God's knowledge supervene on those things? How can he know those things? That's the regular ground objection. I'm going to pose an aseity grounding objection, and I'm going to say the hold on, problem. Hold on, hold on, yep. we, we, we gotta, we gotta do this. Aseity yep. to Aseity. me is such an important concept that is not, um, I think, talked about or understood enough within um, within uh, Christian apologetics discussions. But yep. I think it would be great if it was. So. Um, th- it's kind of a little bit weird because there's actually a phrase when you speak of God's aseity, which is sort of one of his his, nature, his attributes or characteristics according to his nature. You can actually say God is a say, S-E. Mm-hmm. But within that, so because I don't want people to get lost, can you explain what God's aseity entails? What does yes. it mean when you say God's aseity? And by the way, everyone, it's spelled A S. 
E I T Y. And you can mm-hmm. look it up further if you want, but go ahead, Tyler. The the aseity of God, or God being ase, means that God is in his in his essence, in his attributes, is not reliant um, or is not dependent on or is not even conditioned on anything outside of himself. Um, so you know, this it, it's you could think of aseity as in a kind of absolute self-reliance. Um, self-autonomy, self-existence. There's nothing that um, that that is that that God's nature is predicated upon. Um, the problem with uh, with the aseity of God and Molinism is that if the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom are logically prior to God's middle knowledge, um, that means that God's knowledge is conditioned upon something that is true outside of Himself. And so you have an, an apparent problem for the aseity of God, for God being ase. Um, now, the Molinist is going to come back and say, well, what that actually, what that, what that, they're going to, I'm trying to be as charitable as I can. What they're going to want to say is that aseity refers to his essence, but not maybe the specifics of how that essence is held. So they would say something like, God is omniscient independently of anything. But the, the facts that God knows um, do not need to have a seity attached to them, right? So, um, which I'm just fundamentally going to disagree with, right? So, and they're going to say, well, God knows things about creation. So aren't you saying that creation, you know, facts about creation have to be logically prior to God's knowledge of them? And I'm going to say, well, back up, no, because remember, the thing that makes those facts true is God's own decree. <laughs> so God's decree is is the is the thing that grounds those things being facts. So God is actually not reliant on the truth of those facts as an outside condition. What grounds his free knowledge is his own decree. Um, and so you don't run a ground of aseity uh, even in his even in his free knowledge. I don't know how you escape that on middle knowledge. Um, I got some interesting comments here about that. I don't know. Do you want to? So Aristotle says, free will demands a seity for human agency. Mm. I'm not so. Sure. Okay, he so he's probably saying, um, uh, well, actually, say it one more time. Free will, and but it's in quotation marks. It's in scare quotes yeah. or air quotes. One of the two. Free will demands a seity for human agency. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know what he means by that. I don't either. So Aristotle, if you can, if you can uh, help us out, please on yeah. that. We're we're trying to uh, follow along with you. And Tommy does have a good um, uh, definition again of a seity, meaning he depends on nothing outside of himself. You know, his absolute total independence. Michelle Marie says God's self-existence. Yeah. So good things there, guys. Um, now continuing on. So with... that so that's. That's one of my objections. One, and again, what I'm trying to do is not the typical grounding objections. I'm trying to show there are metaphysical considerations that, that are problematic here. Uh, and I'm going to try to do some of the easier ones um, to, to start off with and kind of ease in the, to, to the, more, the more challenging ones. One of the other problems that I have metaphysically is that uh, Molinism seems to create a condition where you have the existence of gratuitous evil. You have the existence of non-redemptive facts. Um, you have to remember, Molinism is created, or, or, or not, maybe not created, but is, is capitalized on in, in apologetical circles because of its utility in, in answering the problem of evil and suffering. 
right? So, um, so God is God is kind of off the hook. We're, libertarian freedom is maintained, uh, and so we we're responsible for our own evil. Evil exists because as an outworking of our freedom. And they're going to say, look, God doesn't want it to be that way. God doesn't want the rapist to rape the child. But libertarian freedom is of such a good that God wanted to create a world of free creatures where they could freely choose God. And one of the you know, unfortunate consequences that comes out of that is the abuse of freedom. Okay. So this is, in a way, part of what people sometimes call the free will defense, I think. Yes. Which is, yeah. for example, Plantinga is a famous proponent of at least the possibility of a free will defense and that's what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, besides the fact that I don't think <laughs> I don't think free will is is a good enough explanation to to overcome evil because I can think of very easy counterexamples where we all the time violate people's freedom and it's a good thing to stop them from doing horrible things. And if God really didn't want the evil to happen, it seems like even if he gave libertarian freedom, stopping people from abusing their freedom in in grotesque ways would still be a, a good thing to do. Uh, so I don't even think that defense works. But what it does, if you create Molinism where God, um, you know, look, looks at these, looks at the, the feasible worlds that he can create, and we'll get to feasibility in a minute because that's one of my bigger objections. If you look at the feasible worlds that God could create, and he says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best with the, with the, the hand of cards that I've been dealt. I'm going to play the best hand that I can play. But there's these there's these these evils that I don't want to happen, but I'm going to work them into my system. But I can, they're they're unavoidable, right? I can't create a perfect world. There's not a feasible world for me to create that's a perfect world with this many you know free agents where they would freely choose. So I'm stuck with this level of evil. It seems entirely self-serving and somewhat ad hoc to say that God can't create a perfect world. He's stuck with these evils. But every single feasible world is the type where God can somehow work all those evils for good. That there, why, why is why is that the only type of feasible world? Why why would we say well, there's there's no feasible world in which He can work together every single evil for the good of those who love Him, right? If we can just arbitrarily say that there's no such feasible world where every single person freely chooses to believe Him. But but God can work everything out for his good. He can, he can work everything to his plan. Why can't we just as much in, in kind of an arbitrary ad hoc say, way say, well, maybe there's no feasible world where God can work every single evil for the good of those who love him. Maybe there are just truly gratuitous evils, and that's unavoidable. That's part of the, the hand of the cards uh, that, that God has been dealt. And it right? is the case that um... – Dr. William Lane Craig, for example, has said something like God must play the hands he's mm -hmm. been dealt. And so I think there's sort of a rhetorical question people might ask. It's like, who exactly is the card dealer? You know, Right. Which, I mean, if we're if we're fair to them, that's not the most fair question. Right. Um, because they're going to say, well, well, God is the card dealer. It's, it's his own logical constraints. Um, that constrain the types of cards that he can deal to himself, right? And if God doesn't like the hand, he can, you know, scratch all the cards, and he can create a fully deterministic world however he wants. And that—that um, that is where he's—I don't know what the proper terminology is, or help me out—surveying or something like that, possible world scenarios, and actuating one. How would they describe God's activity of 
because I don't I know they probably wouldn't like it when someone says he's running the numbers or he's acting yeah. as a super calculator, supercomputer, yeah. uh, or an accountant or a bean you know, anything like that. I'm saying these are sort of pejorative ways sometimes what what is a proper Molinistic way at, at this sort of stage? Again, I'm I'm trying to yeah. find the right words here and I think you understand yeah, my struggle. Yeah. To what what is he doing exactly as he looks at possible worlds? What's happening yeah. in that place? Yeah, I think uh, I think even Molinists struggle with this, and, and that's why you often hear them caveat their language. So they'll say things like, "Well, well, God looks at all the options that are before him," and then they'll caveat and they say, "Well, we shouldn't think of this as like, you know, he's actually looking and learning every single, you know, it's we always, you know, we're stuck in time, and so our language is very process." linear you know chronological language it's just that's just the defect of how we conceptualize and think about things we should be fair to molinus and 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 say when they when they say that god looks at these they don't actually mean that he's surveying them but they should be fair to us when we say god surveys they shouldn't say oh well that's a mischaracterization okay we're talking about it in the same way that you're trying to talk about it too we all have the we all have the same struggle of trying to take process and procedure out of our language we, we you know we we all get this thing where we talk about well what was god doing before creation oh well there's no such thing as time it wasn't before creation okay we all know what we mean <laughs> let's let's just be fair and charitable with each other um but yeah so so kind of before creation what he's doing um under molinism he's saying uh, he's looking at all the worlds that he could he could feasibly create. And, and again, we'll get to that distinction here in a second. Is that where sometimes people use the language of actuate? Um, yeah. So he will he will actualize um, – we don't even want to say the best of all possible worlds because that's a specific idea in philosophy. He's going to create the world that, that's the greatest for his desired outcomes. Okay. Okay. So now here's the question. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that some Molinists have different views about what God's uh, – greatest yep. desired outcome is i think mm -hmm. the william lane craig version which not everybody holds to is something like he's going to end up actualizing the possible now it later becomes actual world in which the most or the greatest number of free creatures freely choose him correct and that's the one he actualizes but everyone doesn't agree with that now one yep. question we would ask specifically to the craig version is something like doesn't it appear that god's greatest good is his own glory not that that necessarily runs at odds with the other but that seems like number one and other things are secondary yeah. but help me out help everyone out with with sort of what's going on there about well what is god's greatest goal in the first place because that has to yeah. do with the the telos of the possible world you would actualize yeah yeah so you know as a reformed people we're going to say you know what is the chief end of man the chief end of man is glorify god and enjoy him forever right so we 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 think that that god's glory uh is his number one prime objective and we could point to scriptures throughout that right. um those like william and craig you're right are going to say well the you know the the maximum number of people coming to salvation is god's uh, is is kind of the the I don't know if you'd say it's the main goal, but it's the biggest one that we're concerned about in apologetics, okay. um, is what he would say. You do have other Molinists who are going to agree with us a little bit more and say, well, well, you know, he it's not all about the salvation of the most number of people. It, it, it is primarily about God's glory, but the chief way that he does that is through bringing people to salvation. So the more people to salvation, the better. And okay. we'd agree with that, right? right. So mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, they're not gonna agree, although I think we're all kind of pointing in the same direction. I think even even we would agree with William Lane Craig, we're pointing in the right direction. Getting the most people saved uh, is is one of the, the, the best ways that God shows, uh, God shows his glory uh, the most 
in in his grace, even though, you know, as Reformed people, we're going to say, hey, God, God gets glory in his wrath, too. God, God creates the vessels of mercy and he creates the vessels of wrath. Um, so within that, um, and we're not, this is just something to take note of for me. That means if you say, hey, I'm going to be a Molinist, um, one thing you need to be okay with or comfortable with is the fact that there's a, a, a reality that there's certain worlds God could have actualized in which certain evil acts never happened, and some people would have been saved. Right. But, but he, those aren't the, the worlds that he ended up actualizing, meaning there could be a possible world in which God actualized when 9-11 happened. Now, I bring that up not because uh, you know we're Reformed, so we have certain perspectives on this, but just to kind of make the, the potential Molinists aware of that reality, I guess, is something yeah. that I would point out it, uh, to them. But uh, <coughs> continuing on. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, one of the other things leading into that is um, William Lane Craig has this view. He thinks one of the benefits of, of Molinism is that it explains this problem of the unevangelized, right? The Mayan living living uh, in, in um, you know, the Mexican peninsula uh, before or during the time of Christ. They have no hope of the gospel. And he's going to say, well, um, those are people that have what's called trans world depravity, that they that they wouldn't believe that they would be depraved in any situation, any context that you put them in. And so he kind of takes them all, puts them in these locations, um, uh, you know, kind of th- they wouldn't believe in any context anyway. So we don't have to worry about it. That's I, I always laugh at that phrase, <sighs> trans world depravity. Um, yeah. On our previous uh, podcast and my man, Reasonably Faith Indy who wrote a critique of that, which I told you, hey, bro, you can feel free to drop that in the live chat if you want. Uh, I had made a joke that the, the New York Jets were trans-world losers in every possible world. Jets. I agree. <laughs> and uh, people seem to uh, like that. I don't know. But uh, so continuing, continuing yeah. on. So, th- so this one has a couple metaphysical problems for me. Um, the, the first one is it has this idea that humans are kind of these little static Things it's all it's almost what is it is it Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses that think you know where there there's this like bank of souls that God just draws from and then puts That's, you in your yeah your Mormonism history, they, right they, yeah they they call them uh, intelligences prior yes. to them being incarnated their intelligences yeah. in heaven and and then God puts them gives them bodies and and then their memory like men in black from their intelligence existence the preexistence is wiped out but yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously all that nonsense, the Molinists aren't going to affirm, but it's almost this idea of no matter what the context is, God could place them anywhere in history, in any possible world, any situation, and they wouldn't believe, right? That's trans world depravity. Every possible world, they would be an unbeliever. Um, I, I, I just think that's a very unbiblical anthropology and philosophically, I don't think it makes sense. I don't know what it means to say, uh, I don't even think that in another possible world, um, that I would even be me, right? If I mean, if you put me in in a different culture, a different place, a different time, to different parents, different genetics, I just I don't even know in what sense that I am the same person that you're moving around. I, I and, unless we have this weird concept that our that our souls are you know there our souls are a spirit of these little tabula rasa things that God can move around in time and history, um, which I just think is a very unbiblical concept um that that kind of under undergirds that the other problem with it is logically if there are these trans world depraved people and it seems like there could be a nearly infinite number of those because there's a nearly infinite number of iterations once you start approaching infinites anything is has a nearly infinite amount of those things um 
you also would have a nearly infinite number of trans world righteous people that would believe in any context. Um, so why couldn't God take that nearly infinite number of trans world people instead of populating them in Mayan culture, put them all over the world so that they believe in any context, in any situation? Uh, and then you have this whole world of, of, of populated believers and righteous people. I, I just it, it, it seems entirely um, uh, special pleading to kind of allow for one side of the coin to explain something, but not the exact, you know, logical contrapositive on the other um, to allow for that. Contrapositive. That's a new word. <laughs> I've, Sorry. I've never heard of that. Contrapositive. Yeah. So I, liked, I, I like know, that. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I just I, I don't see why we should allow for one and not the other. So that so that's that's a problem that not all Molinists take that position of trans world depravity. So that doesn't apply. That's not kind of Molinism qua Molinism. That's kind of, a, you know, an offshoot of a Molinistic denominational view, if you will. Um, so that so that's that. Those are kind of the quick and dirty metaphysical problems. I haven't heard great responses to them. Um, there might be good responses to them that people could work on. I haven't heard good ones. My main two objections, metaphysically speaking, to Molinism. The first one is this idea, and I said we get to it, is this idea of feasibility. So what the Molinist is going to say is that that there's there's what's called strictly logically possible something that is that is strictly logically possible. It's logically possible that there that there is a world in which um, every single person ever freely chooses to believe. Um, what that, that, what that means, everybody, is possible. there's nothing specifically logically contradicting the idea that there could be a possible world which every person believes like there's nothing that contradicts the laws of logic whereas if we said hey look here's a world in which there are square triangles holding the same definitions that we understand a square and triangle okay mm -hmm. uh here's a world in which square triangles exist that's logically impossible that's not even a possible world there's a possible world in which humans could swim 50 miles an hour for five hours it's not logically impossible now in the current constraints of physics and physicality that's physically impossible uh in, in this world but it's not logically impossible in any other given world i i just i'm trying to flesh that out hopefully not making a mess of it in the process a little bit, actually. The, the swimming one is, is a good example because that actually – that could be a feasible world. God could have yeah, it's, uh, created us with the ability. That's what I was saying. Yeah, there's nothing logically impossible, but it, in this correct. current world, it's physically impossible. But they're, but they're going to say there are logically possible worlds that still aren't feasible for God to create. Um, and they're going to say – Well, hold on. How, that, how do they know that? Well, this is this is why when you when you talk to a Molinist and they're going to say and you say, okay, well, isn't it possible that God could have created a world where everybody believes? They're going to say, well, that's a logically possible world, but it might be the case that in any world with sufficiently free creatures and a sufficient number of us, that there is no feasible world where God could create where everyone would freely choose, because given human freedom. Uh, it's it it's possible that someone would freely choose to disbelieve. Okay, I find that explanation baffling and bizarre. Typically, when we're talking about feasibility, your example of the human swimming was excellent for a very specific reason. When we consider feasibility, things are infeasible because there are certain limiting factors. 
um, right? So it's logically possible in this world for me to swim 50 miles an hour for 50 minutes, um, especially if, if God is omnipotent and can make me do that. Right. But it's not feasible outside of a miracle of God because of the conditions that God has already instituted within creation. Right. There is okay. one exception. If your mother was an Atlantean and your father was a human, it's possible you may be able to do it, a la Aquaman. Why you got to out my identity, <laughs> so <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, Go ahead, Arthur. I mean, Tyler. That's all right. If I was going to pick a superhero, it wouldn't be that one. Um, so... So, so they're going to say, well, that, that's the difference between possibility and feasible. So it might, it, and, and this is where you get when you hear William Lane Craig and others, they're going to say, well, it might be the case that given creaturely freedom that, that you, you couldn't create a, God couldn't create a world like that. All right. I have massive problems with that. Not only before, God, before creation, before creation, God hasn't instituted any constraints on creation yet. There's no, per, he hasn't selected which individuals to create in that world. There, there's, there's no constraints on what is logically possible for God that would make some logical possible worlds infeasible for him to create. And it seems to me that any attempt to do that, any attempt to say, well, it might be the case that um, is arbitrary and it's ad hoc to save the Molinistic scheme. Because I could say, well, it might be the case that there, there is a possible world where that is feasible. I mean, we just get into, well, it might be the case, a battle of it might be the cases. Um, and you can't move from it might be the case to it is the case that Molinism does. So there's a modal fallacy that happens there as well. Hold on, a couple of things to define. When you say yep. arbitrary and ad hoc, define those and explain why they're problematic because you're leveling those words, concepts rather, as a critique. Yep. Just break that down real uh, bite size if you could. Yeah. So an arbitrary distinction is one that you are you're making in a way um, that is not necessary, right? You're you're just you're just kind of making it. It's ad hoc. You're making it because you need that to be made to make your thesis true. Um, there's no reason to make it other than it makes your thesis true. Okay. Now, um, what about ad hoc? Go with that. So ad ad hoc is that is that you're making an alteration to make your thesis true. So it's not just you're making an arbitrary distinction, you're making one in an ad hoc manner specifically just because you need it that way to make your thesis And true. so everyone, when something's ad hoc, it doesn't necessarily have prior explanatory power. It's yeah. sort of after the fact given uh, right. to, to make it all uh, work out. Uh, right. Now what about, you, you said um, modal, I, now I just forgot we said modal objection. Hold on. What a, a, modal, a modal fallacy. Yeah, can you explain that as well, please? A modal a modal fallacy is when you it is when you invalidly distribute what's called a modal operator. Modal operators are things like uh, might, um, contingently, could be, possibly into things of certainty is necessary, things like that. So, if you move from it may be the case that, and since it may be the case, therefore it is the case. That's a modal fallacy. You, you've you've invalidly moved modal operators. 
um, and there's no reason that without without a valid reason to do so. There's nothing that that moves the modal operator from from a modal from kind of a potential modality to a necessary modality or true modality. Now, this verse may not be relevant to what you're saying. Help me out. I don't know if it figures into the discussion. It's something I always think of when I hear about this. It's yeah. Exodus 4:11, where Yahweh says to Moses in response to Moses saying, "Hey, I don't really talk really well," and Yahweh says this. And the reason why this seems relevant to me because it seems as if it's showing that God assigns the characteristics in the first place. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And the reason I bring that up, it seems like God goes beyond just allowing people to be in different circumstances and sort of then they choose their own adventure. Mm -hmm. It seems as if the very characteristics of the operators or agents in the, the system or the world, he's the one assigning, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Well, the, and the Molinist would agree with that. The Molinist is going to say, well, God, God, God foreordains things. God is, God is, um, God is sovereign over things because he determines the condition and the context. So uh, it might be the case that if God, God puts you in this certain circumstance, I think you guys used the matrix in your last show. If God puts Neo in this certain circumstance, he's going to choose the red pill. Um, and God's plan needs Nito choose the red pill. So he's going to put him in that in that context where maybe in a different context, he wouldn't choose the red pill. And so God's going to choose the circumstance under which Neo will choose the red pill, but he'll freely choose it based on his libertarian freedom. Um, so that, that that's how they're going to kind of they would agree with that verse, basically. Okay. Um, the problem, though, is, is that. You'll hear them say things like, well, if you want to affirm omniscience, if you want to affirm that God you know, know, knows all counterfactuals, the, the most that he can know, you should affirm middle knowledge and Molinism. I'm going to say, well, well here's, here's, here's the problem. God, I'm going to say, under a reform view, God could have decreed the, the let's, let's call it you know, the absolute saved world, where every single individual is saved. He could have decreed that, and thus God could have the counterfactual knowledge. If I created the universal saved world, then all people would would have chosen to believe in me, right? The Molinist is going to say, "Well, that world isn't feasible," and so God can't have that aspect in His in His middle knowledge. So I'm going to say, "Well, under under Molinism, then God knows less things than He does under uh, a traditional view or a Protestant view or a Reformed view." Um, and they're going to say, well, that's because that's not a possible thing for God to know. That's fine. Um, but they need to give a reason why God can't know that. Because imagine that God knows if I created this world, this all saved world that all people would freely believe, the Molinist is going to come and say, well, the reason why God that's not feasible is because in that world, it might not be possible that all of them would freely believe. And so the only way to say that God can't feasibly create that world is to say, well, God, uh, God can, can't know that because if he created that world, it might be the case that someone would freely choose to disbelieve in him. But what they've done is they've said, if God, let's just call that world W, if God has created W, it might be the case that that, that world is not W. Which just which just shifts the goalposts, right? It, then, then all they've said is that God can't create W because it might be not W, which which just makes no sense, right? If God can create W, then he can then he has he has foreknowledge, he has absolute foreknowledge, omniscience about the facts of world W. 
You can't get around it by saying, well, W might have some features that are not W because then you're shifting the concepts. Then you're talking about a different world that isn't that possible world. I know that's kind of confusing. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of kind of detailed modal logic, but that, that, that's one of the problems with trying to argue infeasibility. Um, now what, what about this? Um, I've heard you say this before and I found it, uh, novel in the sense of I hadn't heard anybody raise it before. Could you explain it maybe and then its relevance? I, I, if uh, Hopefully this isn't taking you too far afield, but it's from your own prior interviews. Mm-hmm. You said um, in one place, imagine if uh, this is sort of to the Molinists, asking them to do a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Imagine, if you will, uh, a possible world in which everything is exactly identical save except mm-hmm. for one fact someone thinks a a an a, a thought and so they have an abstract concept but it doesn't result in any action or any other change in the world and i think i think i'm explaining it right and if mm-hmm. not help me out then what is the reason for why then god actualizes one world over the next at right. least even between those two right could you help yeah. flesh that out yeah yeah so he so there, there's a, there's another lead into this. Let me, let me give the preface to that thought experiment. The thought experiment is: <clears throat> imagine you have a button in front of you, right. and you know that if you press the button, someone in the world, however it works out, is going to freely choose to murder someone. Let's ignore the metaphysics of it somehow making someone to freely choose something. Let's just ignore that for now. It causes someone to freely choose to murder someone. All right. All right. If you press the red button, if you press the green button. It causes the, the same person to freely choose not to murder someone, right? And you have to press a button. You can't, you can't abstain. Um, you know, the, the world will come to a collapse and a screaming halt if you don't choose a button. I don't know. You, you have to press one of the buttons. The question is, if you, choo- if you press one of the buttons, even under the contingency that that person's choice is free, Right, because maybe it's through you're setting the the context, you're what you're weakly actualizing it, whatever it is. If you press one of those buttons, are you causally determining? Are you deciding what will be true in the actual world, even though the person's going to freely choose it? The answer is obviously yes. You are a causal condition that's determining what course of action the world is going to take. And so I think this relates to something else that mm-hmm. seems problematic because I think it's a problem Molinus wanted to avoid. Once God actualizes any given possible world, everything is set in concrete. It's uh, immutable. It's unchangeable. The course right. is set. So it it appears like there's sort of a, a back-end micromanaging that it seems like the Molinus, by and large, wanted to avoid. But yet because of the fact that now it's there it right. all is. We can now do no other, which seems like, again, something they want to avoid. But I understand there's – they find the end around satisfying. Yep. And so I understand to an extent, but on the other hand, I don't. Again, maybe you can do it more deftly than that. Yeah. Well, let, well let's, go, let's go to the thought experiment that you were bringing up because that button is, is a conceptual – that that idea is a conceptual precursor to the thought experiment. So now let's imagine that God has – you know, I'm going to use process language. I'm sorry to the Molinists listening. We don't actually think that God throws through this process. God has kind of surveyed all the world. He's narrowed it down to, to, to two possible worlds that he could feasibly create. 
There's World 1 and World 2, and they're identical in every single possible way, with the exception of at T1, which is just the philosophical way of saying at this given time, at T1, uh, you know, vocab is going to freely choose to believe an abstract thought that pops into existence and out of existence and has no ramification on any other fact of creation, either before or after. Right? I'm trying to, under the mm -hmm. thought experiment, I'm allowed to get rid of the, the butterfly effect. <laughs> in, Sorry, in, in, Sorry, w2, in W2, vocab freely chooses to suppress that belief. Right. So in, in the only difference between world one and world two is what you decide. You either decide to have freely decide to have this belief or to suppress this belief. That's the only difference. It has no other ramifications whatsoever. God's narrowed down his actual. He's going to actualize either world one or world two. If God actualizes world one, is he causally determining the, the, the truth of the propositional fact that vocab will at T1 freely choose to believe that fact. Or if he actualizes world two, is he causally determining the truth of the fact that vocab will freely suppress that belief at T1? The clear answer is obviously yes, that is a causally determinative condition. right? And that's for a non-consequential. You extrapolate that out to anything. The idea is that once God, once God surveys, the instant that God actualizes a world, he has now entered into causally determining the truth proposition of that world as opposed to any other possible world. So it's it, cause, cre creation is an act of causation. It looks like actualizing is the kissing cousin of ordaining or determining. It looks, they want it to seem that way. But what it actually is, is creation just is a causal act. So you're saying they're not kissing cousins, they're identical twins. Yes. Yep. They, all right. I'm just trying yep. to, you know. All right, now, Tyler, here's what we got to do. If you got one more thing in you, now I know you yep. have more than one more thing in you. I Kind of get it out there because I want to see if it's okay pretty soon to turn to the live chat. And we've got an excellent Absolutely. audience. Like, I'm pretty impressed, first of all, with how they're conducting themselves. Props to everyone because we have plenty of people disagreeing guys keep it how you are right now the way you're behaving the live chat is so exemplary however you say that word and uh i do want to answer some questions once we kind of get this out and then by the way tyler I, I am sorry to inform you that at some point at the end of the show i do have to freestyle because we achieved our goals and so okay. you, you that's <laughs> as long as i don't have to do it you, you don't have to but you could give me some of the concepts but go ahead right. I'll, I'll i'll give you words like you know infralapsarianism and stuff. All right, we could do that. So <laughs> land a plane so we can then take questions. Okay. The last one that I would give um, is is this question of uh, in once God has actualized a world, right? He, so he has he has his he has his, uh, his his middle knowledge, he has his free knowledge of the actual world because they want to affirm libertarian freedom. Um, am I able to freely choose to act contrary to what God foreknew? The reason why this becomes a problem, they're going to say, well, you know, no, because well, I mean, they're going to say yes, but God would have known that that's how you would have acted. The problem is, is that by God's foreknowledge under under this scheme, God actualized a world knowing again, let's go back to that vocab at T1 would freely choose to uh, to believe some proposition. Right. 
the question is, once we arrive at T1, providentially through redemptive history, we've gotten there. If you have libertarian freedom, libertarian freedom is the ability, conditionally and categorically, to do otherwise. If you have that ability, nothing has conditioned you. If we, if, re, if we rewind the tape, if you choose to believe it in one, if we rewind the tape and start over, are you going to make that same, thing, that, that, same, that same decision a thousand out of a thousand times, a million out of a million times, a billion out of a billion times? Or is there a possible world where you would freely choose because nothing determines your choice to believe otherwise? They can't say yes and God would know that because – what that does is that, again it shifts the goalposts they're going to say if if god has actualized world one it's because he foreknew at t1 you would freely choose to believe they can't say well yes at t1 you could freely choose to not believe and god would foreknow that that would have been your choice because now they've shifted what god's foreknowledge was before prior to creating w1 right before creating world one they can't do it that way so they're stuck either saying no you can't freely choose otherwise or if they want to say you can, but you never will, but it's possible that you could, what that means is in principle, it's possible for you to choose something else that God didn't know that you would choose. The reason why that's extremely problematic, and this is, by the way, why I say Molinism entails open theism. I don't think it is open theism. I don't think it I don't think Molinism proper is heretical. I don't think Molinists are heretical, but I think it has this logical entailment that opens itself to open theism because what happens in principle at T1, I could choose, you could choose to do something other than what God happens. You there there's a category that is open where God's foreknowledge could be wrong. And God, that's specifically the type of thing that God can't know, because it just is the thing that God can't know. So what happens then is even, even if God is right 100% of the time, even if he never fails to be wrong, he can't know that he's going to be right, because he, because he can't know the instances where he won't be right. He can't know where the, the landmines would be, right? It might be the case that this next action is where we choose something libertarian other than what God foreknows. Now, again, maybe God's right 100% of the time, but what happens is that every single one of these instances, God's, God's the, 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 the fact that God was right is being confirmed to God. God is learning that he was right, which is open theism. It seems like I could see them saying something like you're equivocating uh, on the the concept or 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 what what that phrase means. I don't know. I'm trying to think what, how how they would sort of respond. Um, but uh, someone just asked Tommy, "Is there an intro to this stuff I can watch?" Yes, there is, and it's on my channel, and I just dropped it in the live chat. So excellent stuff. Now I'm gonna turn to the the live chat i had one person say that the stream is pausing i have not got any indication on my end of any pausing pausing either from myself or or tyler so someone else let me know if anyone else is having that problem i've i've only heard one person say that so i don't think i don't think so it might be on your end whoever said that first question from an a how do molinists reconcile the usage of personal pronouns the son gives himself distinct from the father oh 
Renee, I'm so I know you just came in. You are thinking of modalists. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't. I wouldn't have read that if I uh, thought that. Hey, hey, let's just do this because this is kind of funny. Now, again, this is the quick part, right? The Shao, who just now is joining us, says, "What's this topic about, Tyler? What's this topic about tonight?" <laughs> Modalism. I mean, Molinism. Molinism. <laughs> what is Molinism? Quick. <laughs> Mol- Molinism is the the idea uh, that. Uh, God determines which world to actualize based on his knowledge of counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. Loris K. Psalm 25, in response to your last objection, said, Tyler, it's a category fallacy. And following that, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Sushi says, isn't this also a possible issue for Calvinism? So uh, you would have to hash out how it's a category fallacy. Um, because I don't think that it's a category fallacy. Uh, so you would have to, uh, you know, that doesn't make me right. It, it could be a category fallacy. You'd have to hash it out. You can't just say it's a category fallacy. Um, you'd have to hash it out. Feel free to try. Uh, I don't see how this is a problem for Calvinism because on Calvinism, um, we are we are compatibilistic. We, we have no problem saying uh, that God has actually determined uh, and decreed all things uh, whatsoever comes to pass. He declares the beginning from the end. Which, by the way, vocab reminds me, really, really quick, quick plug, uh, not for something, but we were going to talk about also one of the reasons why we disagree with Molinism is precisely because not only we do think that Molinism isn't derived from the scriptures, we think that the scriptures clearly teach the sovereignty right. uh, and, and determining action of, of God in all things. So not only would they need to overcome some of these philosophical objections, they would have to give better exegetical arguments uh, for passages like Ephesians 1, Romans 9, and a whole host of other ones. Right, excellent. Rocks B says, what would be a good book to learn about Molinism, uh, not from a differing viewpoint? Now, um, mm-hmm. Could we recommend one that has multiple viewpoints? What's the Four Views book that has Molinism in it? And I think Paul Helm interacts with William and Craig. Is it Four, uh, four Views? Yeah, Div- Divine Knowledge, Four Views. Divine Knowledge, Four Views. That's one I would recommend. And one as a critique I would recommend is the one you told me about uh, yesterday. What was that book called? Because I just bought it on Kindle, by the way, and I'm I'm reading through the chapter called Molinist Gunslingers. Yep. What's that book? It's uh, Calvinism and the Problem of Evil. And then – Multi, multi, uh, multi essay book. And then, what's a, a great book? If someone says, "Okay, what about a Molinist advocate?" What's a book you'd recommend for that? Um, you can read uh, William Lane's William Lane Craig's book, "The Only Wise God," um, or uh, John Lang. It, it, it's L A I N G. Um, has a book called uh, Middle Knowledge, Human Freedom, and Divine Sovereignty that, that spells it all out. Excellent. You're doing great on these questions. Quick, Michelle Marie says, not only is middle knowledge unnecessary to an all-knowing, all-decreeing God, but the Molinist conception of free will makes it impossible for God to exercise providential control over creation. You say? <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I mean, I... I, I actually take a harder line than a lot of people are comfortable with. I don't think libertarian freedom is even logically possible, and I don't think that God even possesses libertarian freedom. So I think that when uh, the Mol- when the Molinists or the Arminian or anyone actually says that we have this kind of autonomous uh, human freedom, counterfa- you know, creaturely freedom, I actually think they're they're arguing that we are more free than God could even be. And are you saying that because God's nature constrains Himself? Is that why you're saying that? Correct. So, uh, so I think uh, while while God is not determined by anyone outside Himself, which right. is part of libertarian freedom, uh, I think that He still He still is. So, for example, God is not able to lie. Which God is not Bible, able to sin. Which the Bible yeah. literally says. It says, yeah. and it also says 
he doesn't tempt nor can be tempted by evil. So, God, by the way, guys, this is a, a quick apologetic note. When someone tries to trick you with, can God do anything? Because they always have a reason if, they, if they're doing this on purpose, why, why they yep. ask that. The answer technically is no, because he can't contradict his own nature. Um, now, going on to Dadge, Mitch. Well, really fast before you go on to that one, can I, can I give a, another little course, apologetical yes. slight that's fun on that one? Because yes. sometimes the, the skeptic or the atheist who poses that to you is going to say, well, <clears throat> can God do anything? And if you say, well, no, because even the Bible says he can't lie, they're going to say, oh, well, you're just you're, – you're, you're redefining um, you know, omnipotence to, to get around these problems. And I say, okay, well, great. Let's not redefine – let's not quote-unquote redefine it, even though that's the historic way it's been defined. Uh, let's, let's – how do you want to define it? That, it could, that God can do anything that he's not constrained by logic? Right. Great. So what's your objection? Well, can God create a rock so heavy that he can't lift? Yes. Well, then he can't lift it, but he can. Yeah, because of what you, the, you, how they just you've just it. given that you've just given that he can do anything, not even constrained by logic. So God could actualize contradictory states. Great, if you want to define it that way, go nuts. God and, could do anything. And then. one thing, everyone, just so we understand, God acts in accordance with the laws of nature, but not because they sit over here outside of Himself, because the laws of nature are a very reflection, and I speak somewhat uh, uh, loosely of His very mind, meaning the way God thinks and the way He is is where we get the foundation of the laws of logic in the first place. So it's not like he's yeah. obeying something else that says you must be this way. Dadge right. Mitch says, God is outside of time. So does foreknowledge even make sense? Yeah, so again, this is where, again, we, we just have trouble with human semantics. We, we, we are time, we are tensed beings, and so the way we talk about things uh, is time. So even though foreknowledge means before knowledge in a temporal sense, Again, we can go back to you know logical priority, you know prior to creation, whatever that quote unquote prior means, logically prior, metaphysically prior, you know uh, causally prior. Um, we don't necessarily mean uh, temporally prior. Excellent. One, two, three, four, five. Sushi, who I believe from the comments, I would guess is a Molinist, says, Great stuff, vocab and Tyler. You guys are really knowledgeable, and I appreciate your consistency in understanding this position while being charitable and not dividing and calling it heresy. That's good. Yeah, we, we, think, it's, we think it's an overreaction. Oh, I'll speak for myself. I think it's a, a bad overreaction when uh, reform folks would call Molinism heresy. I think that's a bad overreaction. Um, Sean yeah. Kelly says, what's Tyler's take on Adam's will before mm -hmm. the fall as to its nature? Yeah, th there's a lot of debate even in reform circles. Yes. Um, so uh, some people are going to say, well, Adam is the only person that had libertarian freedom. But if you remember, I said, I don't think libertarian freedom is even possible in a world that God has actualized because he's pressed the button. It's determined. Um, so what I what I would say is that Adam is uh, you know in the Latin terms he's passe pecare passe non pecare he's able to sin able not to sin, um, but that still given his nature that God has given him given the 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 desires that God had had placed in him given um, the context and and the you know the wife that God is in the, the the serpent that was in there ever given all of that thing that that stuff Adam still chose based on, this is an Edwardsian term, based on his greatest desire. Um, and so he still freely chose, he still he still made the choice, but it was in a compatibilistic sense under the determining plan of Excellent. God. Excellent. And by the way, everybody, he's referring to Jonathan Edwards yep. when he said that. Tommy says, Tyler, do you have any debates I can watch? I think he specifically means on this topic, which you do. Tell people about those. 
I do. So if you go to uh, freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, which I think is uh, on the screen already, um, I, I have a, a link that is the collection of my my stuff on Molinism. I actually have two debates that I did back to back, one of them with Eric Hernandez, pretty famous Molinist, um, and another one we did a two-on-two debate um, between uh, with, with myself um, and Owen Pond um, uh, with uh, Eric Hernandez again uh, and Johnny Saker. So... Um, so I have those two debates on there. Do Molinists believe God can make us impeccable free agents in the age to come? Does he at least think he can pull it off? I don't know if I understand the second part, but I think I understand the, the first part. Do Molinists believe God can make us impeccable yeah. free agents in the age to come? Yeah, this is a big problem for Molinism. I mean, this is a problem for Christianity in general, is is if if I can choose, if Adam, even in his, in his uh, innocent state, right, he wasn't, he wasn't holy, but he was innocent, uh, chose to sin— why is it that in the eternal state, on the new heavens and the new earth, <clears throat> why is it that we don't choose to sin then? Um, <clears throat> and I think the answer that, 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 that's given is that, um, that we have our glorified nature at that point. We, we stand in the presence of God. Um, we would have the, the – I, I think we're still indwelt by the Spirit um, for, for all of eternity um, that, that aligns all those things. But, now, But God has eliminated, he's eliminated the desire for us to sin at that point, though. Yeah. So the question, and I and I honestly think this is a question for every single Christian theology that believes in in eternal life. The question is, why didn't God just start that way? Um, so I don't think that that's a specific problem for Molinism or for Calvinism or for, that. That's something that every I think every Christian would need to answer. And really, we don't know the answer other than because he wanted to do it the way he did it. Here's well, a, I think I think we have a we, we have a glimpse of an answer in Romans nine where he says, "Look, God, God made vessels of, of mercy and vessels right. of wrath, and what if He did that to display the glory of His mercy, right. uh, or display the glory, uh, the 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 greatness of His glory to His uh, His vessels of mercy?" A challenge. He can't contradict His own nature, even though He created the evil He predestined. Uh, so. He didn't. This is this is where you get into the problem of is God the author of sin, mm-hmm. um, and you get into philosophical concepts of God didn't God didn't create evil. God actualized a world and predetermined evil. He he determined a world in which through secondary means and causes such as human will, uh, evil would arise in the world. Excellent. And um, uh, Dadge Mitch says, so what do we do with the problem of evil now? Now there's no way you can do the whole thing, but. Do you have the quick version of what we do with it? <laughs> yeah, I actually have an episode called uh, Calvinism as an Apologetic where I go through how a reform stance I think is more consistent. Uh, I think the, the first problem is I don't think that there is a thing as the problem of evil and not in the sense of there's tons of problems of evil. I think the, 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 the only way that you have a problem of evil is if there is such a thing as objective morality to begin with mm-hmm. and you only have that if God exists. So I don't think there is a problem of evil that undermines the Christian faith in the existence of God, because you only have it if God exists. But there is something that is paradoxical as we look at it that is not fully reconciled in this life. Yeah, yep, uh, and I think that, that that's one of the answers that that we there there is the answer to the problem of evil is the fact that uh, God gains all His glory, uh, whether or not uh, it's through evil, whether or not it's through good, whether or not it's through mercy, whether or not it's through wrath. Uh, all things are for the good of those who love Him. And I think that's part of Paul's exclamation that you find at the end of Romans eleven. Yeah. Next question, Jake says, "How can God hold us accountable for things that He ultimately chose for us?" Um, I think yeah. I've heard that objection before somewhere. Yeah, often. Uh, aren't we puppets? Aren't we robots? Aren't well, we no, whatever? I'm being slightly sardonic in the sense that it's in Romans 9. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, so th- this is this is where I could just give the pure Calvinistic answer and not deal with Molinism and say, well, that objection basically is of the form of if we can't resist God's will, isn't that unfair? Which really what you've done is you've 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 inhabited the objection that Paul's interlocutor in Roman 9 gives. So you you're actually assuming an objection that someone opposes to the teaching of Paul, which do you want to be in that place? I don't. I'd rather be on Paul's side. The the other part of it is, um, without going too deep into it, is uh, look up Guillaume Bignon's uh, book, uh, Calvinism, uh, Excusing Sinners, uh, Blaming God, or he has a talk on it that's that's very good. And basically there's an assumption, and we won't, there's not enough time to go into this, there are two different types of ability. There's categorical ability, which is the ability to do otherwise, and there's conditional ability, which is the ability to do what you want to do. And the Calvinist is going to say that having conditional ability is required for moral responsibility, but having categorical ability is not required for moral responsibility. And the libertarian freedom when asking that question is asking about categorical ability, which we just don't think you need for moral responsibility. Anyways, for more on that, look up Bignon. Excellent. And Guillaume Bignon is actually, for those who have seen around before, part of our little uh, circle. What I mean is sort of the Act 17 apologetics crew hang out at ETS. Former atheist has an amazing testimony. Check it out in Christianity Today. But there's a famous video that has nothing to do with any of this on David Wood's channel that is titled How to Annoy a Frenchman in which they take a road trip in which the whole time David is reciting old school rap songs word by word, line by line, and, and Guillaume is just sitting there. It's pretty funny video though. Um, uh, next question is can you explain how free will is compatible with Calvinism? Yeah, so, uh, well, it depends on what you mean by free will, right? Because So uh, if you mean libertarian freedom, it's not. Libertarian freedom is an incompatibilist system. If you mean the ability to choose, uh, I hold to what's an Edwardsian compatibilism. I think we choose based on our greatest desire. But that our greatest desire is determined by our uh, basically nature and nurture, our, our nature, my, my Tylerness, my historical context, my setting, the situation God has put me in, my makeup, my genes, my history, all those things that, that even the Molinist says God determines the concept uh, are determinative of what I desire to do. Um, and so, and so I act on my greatest desire. And so I choose based on my greatest desire, but I am still causally determined to choose that. But I'm doing what I want to do. That's the conditional ability. And so I have the freedom to choose what I want, um, but I'm also equally determined. So sometimes I know I've seen some people that like the phrase free choice better than free will because free will a lot of times gets defined as automatically libertarian free will and calvinists are okay with free choice but not free will as defined a lot of times at a popular level eris toddler says paul's theodicy unlike modern approaches sees god's wrath as defending his reputation he doesn't ask to be exonerated from it thoughts on that um it would depend on what he means by it um, let me pull up the Romans 9 passage. Um, I, I've heard arguments like this before. My main thing is if you fall, so we talked about this before in our pre-call, is basically I think that that uh, 
apologetics and apologists get things exactly backwards a lot of times. A lot of times we, we go backwards from what has apologetical value to philosophical to theological to our biblical theology, and we work backwards that way. And I think we should work exactly the opposite direction. Um, so uh, if you actually do an exegetical, um, uh, you know, read through some of the commentaries, the, the rhetorical analysis of what Paul is doing in Romans 9 I think by the time you reach that section, Paul actually is answering the question which is posed, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? If you can't resist his will, why can you why why are you still guilty for it? And he says the first thing he says basically is, you know, who, who the hell are you, are you to ask that? To back to God. <laughs> yeah. Which is the the very Job answer because you know, some people looked at Job as a theonomy, it's not. Um, theodicy. Well, what yeah, does molder say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Yeah, and, and the the idea is Paul Paul's expounding, saying, "Look, not only are you not to answer back to God, God has the right to make you that way. He has the He has the right to give you that nature, right? Notice they're they're from the same lump of clay. They're from the same thing, but one of them is for honorable use. One of them is for dishonorable. This is, by the way, why I I, I get the analogy, but I hate that analogy of well, God's grace is like the sun, and against wax, it melts the waxy heart, and against clay, it hardens the heart. They're from the same clay. They're from the same, they're both clay. Um, so why does it harden one from the same lump of clay and right, melt the right. other piece of the lump? Right, that analogy kind of doesn't work. Um, the idea is that God gets to take the same nature and make, he determines whether or not you're going to be for honorable use, you're going to be an object of mercy, or whether you are going to be a vessel of wrath. He determines that Whether or um, or, as the potter or of the clay. Uh, yep. Laura Skay says, Molinists do have an explanation of Romans 9, and Reasonable Faith says, how would you compare your interpretation of Romans 9 with those of the rest of the church? Um, well, first I would push back and say that uh, I actually, there's wide variety in, in Molinism. So it's not actually fair to say that there's a Molinistic view because, man, you can have an SBC traditionalist that's a Molinist. You can have an Arminian that's a Molinist. And what a lot of people don't realize, um, and some Molinists do when they think this is like a gotcha moment, is Molina interpreted this passage the way that I'm interpreting this passage. Uh, so Molina didn't actually go to Romans 9 to try to, to, to demonstrate his case, at least not in this way. So he understood this as God uh, being able to determine. He just worked in uh, libertarian freedom for elsewhere. So um, I don't think there is a Molinist. You'd have to give me who am I talking about. Um, some of the alternate ways are things like that this is judicial hardening. This is dealing with the difference between the Jews, uh, God's faithfulness to the Jews, as opposed to the Gentile. The problem with that, though, in dealing with the nations is that is that Paul sticks in this analogy from Pharaoh, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no Jew at that time, right, would have, would have uh, objected to God judging Pharaoh for what he did. Right. No, no one would have no one would have stood up and said, wait a second, if Pharaoh freely choose to chose to do the evil thing, then why, God, why are you punishing him for that? Right. The Pharaoh example runs in the face of it being, a, a, you know, a, a comment about the judicial hardening of, of Israel and God's faithfulness for Israel uh, and the expansion to the to the Gentiles. Especially it's immediately after the Pharaoh example where 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 God says, I've raised up Pharaoh. Right. This isn't a good this isn't a good Jew that can't resist 
the the will of God. This is Pharaoh who can't resist the the will of God. Why does God still find fault with Pharaoh if he can't resist the will? That runs directly contrary to the idea of judicial hardening of the Jews. Excellent. Um, Gerard mentions that Mike Winger has a video that gives a non-reformed interpretation of Romans 9, and Reasonable Faith talks about Gerald's, Jerry Wall's video, I guess, that is uh, What's Wrong with Calvinism, number yep. four, I think. Uh, let's do this as the last question. There's a lot of great questions in here, but we just can't get to them, and i got to get to this freestyle, and we wanted to keep this under two hours, which we are rapidly approaching. Although it's excellent that we still have got uh, 80 people uh, watching even now. and so that's Hanging awesome. in. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, Troopers. How would you deal uh, with a Molinist interpretation or view of Romans 9? I think is a question I saw reason, uh, a lot of people ask, and I think that's probably going to be the last thing we can kind of get to. And then I'll let you offer whatever closing you want to, and then it's time for a freestyle. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you want to ask another question because basically, I don't know, you'd have to give me an example. You'd have to tell me which Molinist you're talking about. Is it an SBC traditionalist? Is it an Arminian? Is it, you know, a Lutheran? Is it, you know, what, you know, what, what, what interpretation of Romans 9 are you actually getting at? All right. Well, <laughs> with that, give your summarized thoughts on the matter. You know, like, um, like why have you decided to tackle this? Are you just messing around, you know? And, like, why do you think it's important that you've invested time to understand this? Um, why have you done debates on this? You know, like, kind of bring this to a head for everyone and kind of bring it back and, and let's help them again understand why we've even done this tonight. I think that might be helpful. Yeah, uh, largely because Molinism is not a small phenomenon. I mean, if, you, if you're anywhere in kind of apologetic circles, Molinism is rapidly becoming the predominant view, at least in kind of American uh, uh, Protestant evangelical circles. So, I mean, that might be narrowing it down too much, but... Uh, it's becoming, uh, the, you know, a major, major view. Um, and as I've said before already, I think it's a very problematic view. Not only do I think it doesn't do, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it does uh, justice to the biblical text uh, and, and to good systematic theology. Um, I think it has very, very problematic uh, uh, entailments, which is why you get some Reformed folk um, who it sound like they're being uncharitable because they they confuse an entailment with the actual view itself. I don't want to do that. I want to separate those two. You know, be charitable. The Molinist uh, Molinism isn't heresy, as we've said. Molinists aren't heretics. They're dear brothers in the Lord. But I think it has this logical entailment that opens it to open theism, and so I, I think it's a very problematic position. Excellent. One more time, tell people what YouTube channel to subscribe to maybe about the conference coming up here in Waco in the spring, as yep. well as the blog and the podcast. Just one more time because you got some great resources. Let people know how to find them. Yeah, so if you uh, go to freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, you can find uh, the, the Freedthinker uh, group page on Facebook. Um, uh, I'm part of a, a Mentionables uh, ministry. Um, the idea is that we are we are not your famous world famous apologists, uh, but if you need resources, if you need speakers, if you if you want to have a conference at your at your church, uh, we are some people that you could probably afford <laughs> to bring out, and we're all over the country. Um, and we have a, a conference coming up, the Mentionable Second Annual Conference, held in uh, Waco, Texas, at the end of March. The the last weekend of March will be out there. 
Um, some really great talks by Nick Peters, Joel Furches, uh, Mark Lambert, um, uh, Clinton Wilcox, Wilcox is giving a breakout session on bioethics, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm giving a talk on uh, slavery uh, in the Bible in the ancient Near Eastern context. And then I also have a debate with Aaron Raw. Uh, basically on the conflict thesis between science and religion. Um, so there's going to be some great content on there. Excellent stuff. All right, so you can stick around if you want, and here's what I'm going to do. You're not going to be able to hear the uh, the beat uh, if you do stick around. I'm going to flip over to a screen where I've got a beat playing. I'm going to be able to hear it. You'll just hear me rapping if you stay around, or you can jump off Skype. It's up to you. But this is how we end it because we got the super chat that was required thanks to Rox B as well as others. And what we're going to do is try to freestyle about some of these topics. It should be very, <clears throat> very interesting. It's kind of what we do. And uh, <laughs> we got some great people in the live chat. Much love to y'all. All right, so let me let me find um, which beat we're going to use here. Da, 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 da. I think let's go with – let me try this one and see how this one sounds, everybody. Um, Do I want to do that one? No, let me try this one. Uh, might want to try that one. I'm trying a few different ones. See, I like to pick through beats sometimes. Depends on the mood. You know what? I might go with that one. All right, everybody. It is freestyle time here on Street Apologist. I'm going to switch over my cameras. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? Again, Tyler, I think you definitely killed it, man. Much love on uh, everything. And I could tell uh, the people were definitely feeling it. Even those who disagreed seem like they're they're still cool, you know, with everything. And um, guys, let me know what the volume level's here. And uh, let me do one last thing. Where'd it go? I got to I gotta get this all set up. Hold on. I'm going to try to have it right before we... Before I start, oh, there it is. Okay, excellent. All right, everybody, it's time to freestyle. <laughs> this is gonna be tricky because I'll be freestyling about philosophy stuff. Yo. Boom, bap, pow, like onomatopoeia. Discussing the concept by Louis Molina. He was Spanish. This beat will make the whack MCs leave and vanish. Yes, y'all, we did some damage to the concept called middle knowledge when it gets extended to something they teach everywhere now, even at Talbot College. Because of WOC, I'm an MC. Vocab Malone, rapping because of Rock B. Gave the money, now the freestyle is free. Check it out now, philosophy and philosopher and theologian. I'm messing up my words when I'm spitting again. But it's all good, you can chill and lay low. Check out Tyler when he's in Waco, Texas. God knows what you eat for breakfast. He knows when you break up, he knows about your exes, he knows about the British. With the Brexit and plus everything that's actual and the things that are not counterfactual. Yes, y'all, ah, every boy and girl, he knows all actual possible worlds. Possible, I 
chronologically prior, not chronological. We rock it. This is the story. Spock would like it. And so we had to write it. Paul, he write it. Romans, I ain't right beside it. How do you interpret the word? It's real. I don't know. Your exegetical skill may not match when you bring what you will. What I mean is free will is not determinative. Yes, yes, y'all, you gotta learn, little kids. And so I rap. Check out Tyler's podcast. Check out his blog, The Dialogue with Eric H. And now you're like, what the H did he say? I know y'all feel that way. The topic can be hard and confusing. I hope you were tracking. I hope you're not losing. Yes, yes, y'all, how we do today. Out. It goes to back in the day During the Reformation They had to have a way to explain it away So Melina say I got the answer It's kinda like a cancer I ain't trying to diss you my friends Everybody that believes it But please receive it This healthy critique that we speak We freak the beat WLC tied it to Tarek I met Frank Tariq I mean how you say it Okay I'm falling enough Maybe I should end it, but this very show, it has been stupendous. Yes, y'all, on the one and the two. Shout out to Michelle and K-Dub True. We rock it, we do, we keep it friendly. Yes, yes, y'all. And then we spin the counteractual plus the counterfacts with these raps. Here we go again. One, two, two. Please don't take a nap. When we spit this knowledge, you can find it in your college or maybe seminary inside the lot. Rary, the only wise God That's a book you could read And then prick up one that Go ahead and um Affirms the Westminster Creed Please excuse me because I fell off the beat <laughs> Alright y'all that's pretty much it That's pretty much it About to jam out Uh <laughs> that was tricky because I'm like Rapping philosophical stuff I had a couple things I didn't get to. I wrote down a couple little topics I could get to. I got almost all of them. But, you know, here we are rapping about middle knowledge and all this. How are you going to do that? So, um, I'm looking at the comments one last time. Much love to you guys. And let me tell you something while I've got 40 seconds left on this beat. This Saturday, I'm supposed to be debating an atheist. We're going to have a discussion, but we're going to end up debating, I'm sure, on morality. So please check out the channel this Saturday, I think 9 o'clock East Coast. I'm also working on shows this Friday and this Sunday. So I plan on staying busy this weekend. And so I hope to see you guys around. I hope that even if you disagreed, you found today charitable. And much love to everyone. And now I'm going to switch out to the outro. And this has been a great show. Thanks again to you, my man, Tyler. Shalom, Street Apologist is out.
You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.